find your Bibles and turn to Psalm 103. We're going to take a, a break from 1 Timothy to focus on the matters at hand. So Psalm 103. And this uh, truly has been a very difficult week. Wednesday's evening explosion, I, I, I couldn't actually even believe what my kids were saying as they were talking about this. And then they showed me some pictures and I'm like that. I just, I can't be West seeing this extremely large mushroom cloud. And I'm like, what in the world? And then probably like all of you, uh, you turn on that TV and, and you saw this tragedy just being played out before our very eyes. Such a horrific explosion like that, you, you know there's going to be widespread devastation. And we know that uh, 14 people in West, just not very far from here, perished. Some of those were first responders, and they knew exactly what they were getting into. And yet they were willing to, to lay it all down. And first responders are like that. We take them for granted. But firemen, police officers, our EMT people, every day they show up for the job. And in this case, they volunteer for the job. They are willing to pay that price. There's over 200 people that have been injured. A nursing home, completely obliterated apartment complex, unrecognizable homes that are, that are gone, lives that are forever altered and changed. Every one of us has been affected by this, but we've got people in our church that are grieving deeply. I've talked to grown men who just break down and weep because of the effect of what has taken place. And all of this is even on the heels of what took place on Monday with this explosion and bombing at the Boston Marathon. You've got three people that died, 176 people injured. And then when you, you look at that and you look at the news and then and then again you see this Pastor Syed Abedini. He's in Iran and he is being persecuted for his faith. He's been imprisoned and and I read that uh, He's in desperate need of medical care, but Iran will not give it to him. They ran him through a hospital, but they didn't treat him. And they said, it'll be about two more months before we'll be able to get back to you. And I'm like, whoa, your heart just starts breaking when you start reading these things. and You take it for face value. We have a way of trying to insulate ourselves from these things like that's someone else. That's someone else's problem. And that can't affect me. But I know it's a self-protective measure, but these are real people and these are real lives. And we've got people in our church that are going through health crisis. We have a young girl who's going through cancer that we all dearly love. Gary DeSelvo, pastor of Temple Bible Church. Uh, he, he's facing melanoma. They had to take out his eye this week. Been texting back and forth with Gary. And then just on Monday... Uh, we had the funeral for a very dear member in our church, Bob Courtright, whose extremely fast, aggressive cancer took his life so very quickly. And then just even reading yesterday of this earthquake that takes place in China, 180 people are known to have died, and there's already 11,000 people that are injured. And it's like you, you listen to these things, you read them, and you hear them, and, and what happens is your heart just starts breaking and it's like, God, how, how are we supposed to live when we're being crushed like this? How are we to live when trials come and 
trouble strikes and our hearts have grown weary, what are we going to do about our fears? How, how is it that we are supposed to console? When the mayor of West says, pray for us, that is his message, and it's on the front page of the newspaper in huge, bold letters, how is it that we're supposed to pray? What, what are we supposed to do? And I'll just tell you, I, I watched and Wednesday night, and it kind of moved into Thursday morning, and I'm, and I'm praying and watching and praying and my thoughts and heart was drawn to a particular text, Psalm 103. It's a familiar text for me because I find that it gives me the instruction that I need when I feel like my heart is being crushed and I'm being ripped in two. And so this morning, I wanted just to draw our thoughts and our attentions to this particular passage. It's a precious page from King David's Spirit-inspired journal. It tells us how are we to live when our heart is breaking. And it really, it highlights one of the great themes of Scripture. And that is this, that when the praises of God are on our lips, the power of God renews our lives. We need to see this. And so what Psalm 103 is, it's kind of like binoculars for the soul. It literally takes us and allows us to start seeing God for who he really is. And this is what we need to do. We really need to see God in the midst of the tragedy, in the very depths of the difficulties that we're facing. And Psalm 103 helps us do just that. How are we to live when our heart is breaking? Well, let me just tell you, first of all, we need to reorient our soul to God. Look what he says, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You read that, and it, it actually if you, it sounds a little strange. Who's he talking to? He's actually counseling his own soul to focus and fix his attention and his praise upon God. And this is so very central to the Christian life. In fact, if you are planning on maturing in the faith, you have to learn the lesson of not just living by your feelings. If you are just constantly following your feelings in life, it's like following a weather vane to lead you home. Because your feelings go all over the map, and, they, and God has given us feelings, and they're legit. But it's not the basis of our faith. We need to find our faith in the facts and the reality of who God is. And that's why David is writing and he's counseling his own soul. Bless the Lord. Praise God, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. When you and I go through tragedies and heartache, it's like we lose our complete orientation. Literally, from that explosion, people's lives are totally disoriented. Whether you heard it in the voice of a child, just like, get me out of here. You watch the devastation. The way the believer reorients his life is to focus on God and literally counsel his soul to do just that. And so if we're going to really live when our heart is breaking, we need to reorient our soul to God. But let me give you a second. And this is really the heart of Psalm 103. And that is we need to renew our mind with truth. Not only do we direct our heart to God to praise him because we're going to need a strength and a vitality, a perspective and a peace that comes from him, 
but we must renew our minds with truth. The Christian life isn't taking your brain, putting it in a jar and putting it on a shelf and just kind of blindly living life. It is actually to put your faith into that which is true. And far from disengaging, you are called to engage all of your intellect, to know and to see and to seek God as he really is. And so this is what he's doing. In the midst of this tailspin that David is in, likely he's at a place where he doesn't even feel like praising God. And don't be surprised if you come to places like that. There are times in my life I don't just spring out of bed and like, it's time to worship. Sometimes circumstances are so heavy and difficult and you got all these problems and you're just like, and worship's like, well, I'll get to worship after I fix six of these things here. No, we have to learn the lesson to direct our attention to God and start renewing our mind with truth. And so that's exactly what he does. Verse 2, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. You and I, we have a tendency to forget things. We have a tendency to fixate on problems. And what happens is that we tend to forget the God of all mercies, the God of comfort, the God who's reigning, and he says, forget none of his benefits. If we don't give thanks and praise God, you know what happens? We tend to forget God and his many blessings. And so he starts actually rehearsing. He's engaging his mind with truth. And in verse 3 he says, Who pardons all your iniquities. He reminds himself that God is a God of salvation. All of our sins and all of our transgressions Do you know who gives forgiveness for those things? It's God. He pardons all of our transgressions and our iniquities. Notice what he says, who heals all your diseases. Now, God doesn't heal every time we ask him to. Because we've got bodies that are living in a fallen world. And our bodies are fallen. And they are in a a constant state of breaking down. But every time you and I experience healing, whether it be from some sort of minor illness or some sort of major tragedy, you need to know that it was God who brought about that healing. And he wants you to remember that. When we have people in our church going through very difficult times health-wise, we know that as God brings about healing, it's God that does it, and he is strengthening the believer, and we're not to forget it. These are the events that we write down in our journals and we keep implanted in our mind. They are milestones and markers of God's faithfulness. He says, soul, remember that it is God who heals all of your diseases. He is the one who does it. And notice what else he says in Psalm 103, verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit. Now, this could be taken that it is God who actually redeems our life so we don't go to the pit of hell. But... I really think that the emphasis of what he's saying is that every time God has provided a rescue, it is he who has done it. You know, there's so many times in life that sometimes we see this, but oftentimes I I think we don't, that God spared us from, from great disaster, from something that would have been completely devastating or maybe even taken our life. Now, God doesn't always spare lives, as we're experiencing firsthand. But every time that you have experienced God's salvation, both spiritually 
and physically. He wants you to know that it is he who has done it, and he wants you to remember it. There is a museum in Liverpool. It's called the Maritime Museum. And in this museum, they have this ticket. It's the only first-class passage that was booked on my Titanic that wasn't used. And on this first-class ticket, it belonged to a Liverpool clergyman by the name of Reverend John Stuart Holden. And he was unable to make the journey because the day before that voyage in 1912, his wife became very sick and he decided that there was no way that he could leave her. And so he didn't use the ticket and he went and he cared for his life. Of course, we all know of the tragic events that took place with the sinking of the Titanic. But he framed this ticket and on it he wrote, Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. It is God who provides the rescues. We take it for granted. Please don't say, oh, I was just lucky. No, you weren't lucky. What is luck? No, God was merciful and gracious. He redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. It is God who gives you his love. He is always pouring out his love, whether it be in common grace and just the things that you and I take for granted. And he crowns you with compassion. God loves his own and he shares his love with people. It is God who does this. In verse 5, it is he who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. What he's doing is recalling in mind that everything that I've received, all these different aspects of my life, this goodness and these experiences that I've had, whether it be family or friends or being involved in a body of believers, these things have come from God. And, and he's recalling to mind who God is in the midst of his difficulty. And when he says your youth is renewed like an eagle, Eagles are extremely powerful animals, and they generally have long lives. He says, God is the one who takes us from despair, and when our hearts are crushed and breaking, and he renews us. And you know how he renews us? By us seeking him and renewing our mind with the truth of who God really is. Notice what else he says, beginning in verse 6. The Lord performs righteous deeds. And judgments for all the oppressed. God is the one who is going to stand up for those who are oppressed. I know in this life it looks like people just get run over. And justice is oftentimes not not so much justice. But God is going to be the defender for those who've been wronged and and for the weak. For all those who are oppressed. And then this is really interesting in verses 7 and 8. It says, he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the sons of Israel. He's recounting the history of his people, where God provided a deliverance out of Pharaoh's hand and the crossing of a Red Sea. Do you know who did that? God did that. You know who provided food for them to eat and security on their way? It was God. It is God who made his his ways known to Moses and his acts to the sons of Israel. And then in verse 8, he actually quotes Exodus 34, 6. Because you remember after the incident of the golden calf, Moses was completely distraught because the people, though they'd experienced the great hand of deliverance from God, they kind of abandoned him. In fact, they fashioned their own idols and they went out and they did all their partying and all the gross immorality that went with that while Moses is actually receiving the law from God of the way to live and he comes down and discovers that all his people have completely run amok. And you know what happens in this time? Moses then asked God, 
I want to see your glory. I want to see more of you. Because the tragedy that's taking place in the midst of my people is more than I can bear. What I need, God, is a clearer vision of you. And so, remember the, the event that takes place? God passes by, and this is exactly, when God reveals his character, this is what he says. Yahweh, God's personal name, is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. God is compassionate and he's loving and he's gracious and he wants the people of the world to know who he is. I know that he's mischaricatured on TV and people have false ideas of God that he's just God of wrath and of vengeance. Yes, he is upholding justice, but he does so in the context of mercy and grace as he literally extends it to people. And and then he goes on to say he is slow to anger. He's abounding in loving kindness. Verse 9, he says, he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He's not going to hold arguments and legal charges against us forever. Because verse 10, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. God hasn't dealt with us as we deserve to be dealt with. And that, what it does is it highlights the beauty of the gospel. You know what sin is, don't you? Sin is to miss the mark. You see, you and I were created in God's image. Did you know that? He created you not only to know him, but he created you that you were like him in certain respects. And we are to live lives that are in relationship with the very one who made us. He has, by divine right, ownership of us. And any time we try to find our life and our happiness and our security and our identity and our purpose and our peace apart from God, it's sin. Yeah, all the gross, vile stuff that's out there, yeah, that's sin. But yeah, all of the times that we live life on autopilot and could care less about God, the times that we just take matters into our own hands, all of that is sin. And the text says, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, and he's not rewarded us according to our iniquities. Do you guys know why? He's a God of grace. And look what he says in verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. His, his grace and his love is so great. And then he says in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You see, God is the one who actually deals with our sin. And the law not only showed the Israel the way to live, but it, it also pointed out their need for a Messiah who would actually pay the penalty for their sins. That's what these ongoing sacrifices were all meant to point to, a finished sacrifice, a perfect lamb, who would actually pay for their sins. And when God removes sins, he literally takes them away from you. Like the text says, you notice what he says, as far as the east is from the west, when do the two meet? Never. Or as far as, as so far he has removed our transgressions from us. He literally frees you from the penalty of your own sin by virtue of the fact that Christ has paid the penalty for you. He is a righteous God and a loving God and a merciful God. And these texts all point to the great atonement that is found in Christ. I was reading of this guy, Pastor Lee Strobel. You, you may be familiar with him. He was that atheist who studying to try to disprove Christianity, suddenly found himself converted and truly finding his faith and believing in Christ. 
uh, now as a pastor, he actually recalls an event that took place in their church. They were having a baptism, and different people who had placed their faith in Christ were going to be baptized. And in this particular baptism service, they had taken this wooden cross and they put it up, and the folks that were going to be baptized, he said, just write some of the, the sins that you're especially thankful that Christ has forgiven you of. Write them on a piece of paper and fold it up and then pin it to this cross. And so that's what these people were doing. They do that, just some of the ways that they, they just missed it in life. Failed to honor God as God, living their self-centered existence. They'd pin it and then they were baptized. There was this one lady in the church. She wrote him a letter of this event. And when she got there, she had one word that she wrote. She wrote it in like the smallest letters, smallest print. She was so ashamed. This was like this huge, great grievance and just burden to her soul. She wrote in this tiny little word, abortion. And she folded up really tight. She said, I was so, I was so afraid. This, this particular sin, this taking the life of this child, this, this overwhelmingly crushed me. And then it was her turn to go forward. And, and she goes up and she pins that to the cross and she, she looks and turns and looks at the pastor and she thought that this pastor's going to know. Maybe he's going to actually read this. But she said, it's when I looked after I had pinned this particular sin to the cross that all of a sudden I just felt overwhelmed with forgiveness and an unconditional love like I'd never experienced before. To know that I'd been forgiven, that I'm free, and that God was taking care of my sin. Well, that's when he writes, as far as the east is from the west, so far he's removed our transgressions from us. You need to know that if your faith is in Jesus Christ, that God never sees you in your sin, no matter what you've done. And every one of us has has done the miserable, right? God never sees us in our sin. He always sees us in his son. And he wants you to know that because he wants you to live in the reality of that truth. And when your heart is breaking, do you know what you need to do? You need to renew your mind with truth. Don't believe lies and don't follow your feelings. Take God at his word. That's actually what faith is. And so notice what else he says. He says in verse 13, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. It's like, you know when your kids are little and they're trying to do something that they can't? You know, like, Maybe pull, push a wheelbarrow, you know, and they're going to dump it. And what do you do? Your natural instinct as a dad is what? I'm going to jump in there and you help them out. That's how God is. It's as if God is drawn to the weakness of men and of women to show them compassion and love and care. And so he says, verse 13, just as a father has compassion on his children, God is compassionate to you. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him who have an awe for him, who reverence him, who respect him, who take him seriously. Do you know why he does this? Verse 14, for he himself knows our frame and he is mindful that we are but dust. God knows what we're made of. He also knows what we're capable of. He knows that we are but dust. And on uh, Wednesday night and early Thursday morning, Verse 15 and following took on a special significance. 
As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. And when the wind is passed over, it is no more. And its place acknowledges it no longer. See, David is calling to mind that our life is not only fragile and frail, but it is fleeting. It's kind of like the blue bonnets. Don't you just love those blue bonnets? Just come up, it's, it's everywhere. This is the most beautiful state in the nation for about a month, okay? It's, it's wonderful. You got these blue bonnets everywhere and, and the Indian paintbrush and those. And, we're, and you know what it is. I mean, people just stop alongside the road. They take pictures. They put their kids in there. The kids don't have any idea what's going on. Like, stay in there. You know, like, I thought I wasn't supposed to be in there. I'm getting dirty. Just stay in there. They take your picture, right? It's a Texas tradition. I know we do it in our house. We even bring our relatives into it. You know, why? Because they're so beautiful. But in just a couple weeks, when spring turns into summer and the heat comes and the hundred and plus degrees returns to central Texas, those flowers all fade away, don't they? They're here for just but a moment. And so it is with our lives. We actually have no guarantee of tomorrow. Just like last Sunday is different than this Sunday, isn't it? But we are reminded of this truth. Verse 17. Even though we are fragile, frail, and life is fleeting, but the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. God's loving kindness is from generation to generation. You know, I tell you, Life is hard and bad sometimes here. And I'm, I'm a little apprehensive about what's going on in our world. And I'm concerned about my kids and their kids. And yet this promise from the word is that his righteousness to children's children, to those who fear him. You know, God, who's been so loving and gracious to me, kind of the, the wretchedest one in the bunch here, okay? That's me. He's been so merciful and gracious to me. He's given me salvation and life. He has blessed my life beyond measure. That is his nature. I have confidence that God will do the same with my kids and their kids till the Lord returns. And I need to know that truth because otherwise I get on that cycle of despair where you're focused upon your feelings. I feel that's just getting bad and worse and worse. And God wants us to remember him in the midst of the storm. To those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. Follow me. And so what, what David is doing is he's renewing his mind with truth. It's to follow the Lord, to fear him, to realize he has been good and he's been blessing. He's provided salvation. He is the God of loving kindness. And what this does is in the midst of your breaking heart, he gives you strength. Because when the praises of God are on our lips, the power of God renews our life and we begin to live even when our heart is breaking. It's kind of like making tea. Okay, and I know that some of you specialize this, but you get the water and then you get the tea leaves, right? If you only put the little tea leaves in, a little tea bag in there, and if you only put it in for about, let's say, 20 seconds, tell me the flavor of that tea. Is anything you're going to be serving? It will not make you at Bush's Chicken, will it? No. Why? Because it's totally weak, right? You're like, this is just like bad water. 
But on the other hand, you take those tea bags and you just let them stay in that water and you let them steep in there and you go put it out there in the sun, right? And you know what happens? That water takes on the flavor of those tea leaves and then you have a glass of that tea and then what? This tastes good. Friends, that's how it is with our life. If we are to have the flavor of God in our lives, we're to have a strength and a maturity and a peace and a courage and a stability, we've got to soak in deep the truths about God. And if you don't spend much time with God and his word, don't be surprised if you come off a little weak. It's because you need to soak in the goodness and the richness of who God really is. I was uh, in our fellowship family years ago. Uh, one of the guys made this statement. He's like, I realized that I have probably lived half of my life. And he said, knowing that has really helped me have a much better perspective on the things that are really important. Tragedies have a way of doing that. So does God's word. So how do we live in the midst of tragedy when our heart's breaking? We have to reorient our soul to God. We must renew our mind with truth. Friends, you can hear me say this, but if you don't do it, you're just going to be kind of crushed and not really experiencing the grace that God so greatly wants to give you through the truth of his word. You must do it. But let me give you just one other means by which we really go through when we've got a broken heart. And that is to rejoice that God still reigns. Look at verse 19. I've I've underlined it in my Bible because this is huge. This actually changes everything. It says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. God has established his throne in the heavens and his reign, his rule, his sovereignty rules over all. That means that all the events in our life, God has either allowed or directed. But there are not things that are happening that are beyond God's control. He, his sovereignty rules over all. Now, there's parts of this that are very difficult for us to understand. But we are fallen people living in a fallen world, and yet God is orchestrating and bringing about his perfect plan. And there are times, listen, I don't get it. I don't understand the West explosion. I can't tell you, well, this, this is the reason why it happened. But I can tell you how to respond to it. When I find that I face the things that I don't know, I always fall back on what I do know. And I know that God is good. He is a God of loving kindness. He is just like he revealed in the text. He is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger. And I also know that he is reigning and he's in control. And I'm going to let my soul rest in him. And when I do, I have a courage and a confidence that allows me to move forward and to minister in his name. And so David, with a full understanding of who God is and and rejoicing that God still reigns, even though circumstances in his life doesn't seem to match that, he then says, in the strength of these convictions, verse 20, bless the Lord. You, his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. He literally is calling out even the angelic realm who serve God. Bless him. Bless the Lord, verse 21, all you hosts and you who serve him, doing his will. Speaking of the heavenly armies, praise him. 
And then he concludes, bless the Lord, all you works of his in all places of his dominion, literally calling the universe itself, every creature in in heaven and on earth to bless the Lord, O my soul. What began with a whisper crescendos into like a shout where he's literally calling out that all of creation, seen and unseen, would bless the Lord. Because when the praises of God are on our lips, do you know what happens? The power of God revives our lives. And when we face trials and tragedies like we're facing right now, do you know what they reveal? They reveal where our hope really lies. They reveal what we really love. And this trial God intends to use in all of our lives because you know what it does? It weans us off the things that are superficial, unimportant, and even harmful. And it draws us to God, who is a rock and a refuge and a very present help in time of trouble. And so what we need, friends, is what Psalm 103 gives us. It gives us an awe of the living God. Uh, We uh, have the privilege of having our three-year-old, almost three-year-old little nephew at our house. And it's kind of fun. if It's been a few days since I've had a three-year-old running around. And just to see how he's in awe of different things, I'd call to mind um, uh, when my kids were young, I remember specifically they would be like totally in awe of helium balloons, you know? And like, I mean, just like something that you have, you hold on to, and then it flies up. I mean, like, whoa! You know, like, I remember like my, my son would go, look, daddy! You know, like, whoa, you know? I've seen helium balloons a lot of times. He might be in awe of it, but you know what? I'm, I'm not really thinking a lot about helium balloons unless they're caught up in my ceiling fan. And then, of course, I'm thinking a lot about how do these things happen? You know what I'm saying? And, you know, I'm not really in awe of helium balloons so much anymore because, you know, I've been there, done that. I've seen them. And so they don't interest me very much. Unfortunately, that same attitude uh, we take with God. Yeah, yeah, God, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're not so on him of him anymore. And I will tell you this, that little worship of God is because we've lost the wonder. If you uh, are not in awe of God, the truth of his word isn't resonating in your soul. You've gone on with a life that is basically kind of I'll check in with God every once in a while and when I'm really in problem. But for the most part, I'm going to live life on my own. Little wonder of God leads to little worship. But let me just tell you that when the praises of God are on our lips, the power of God revives and renews our life. And this is the heartbeat of Scripture. The heartbeat of Scripture is to draw us into the worship and the wonder of God and to know the love of Christ. That is why you've got to be a person in the book. There is no other way your heart is going to be stirred apart from the Spirit of God taking the Word of God to do the work of God in your heart. Try it, and you fail. And you, it's like you're beating your head against a wall. And there are people like, ah, Christianity doesn't work. No. It's because you're not applying it as God directed it. You have not learned the lesson of Psalm 103. And when your heart is breaking, this is no time for experiments apart from God. This is the time to engage the truth. And so you'll find like in Psalm 23, verse 5, remember that one, the Lord is my shepherd. Do you remember verse 5? It's kind of like that's the one verse we don't get where he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
And you're just like, Oop, don't know what that means. Uh, just keep going, right? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Literally, what he's saying. In the midst of danger and devastation, you give my soul a feast because it is fixed on you. I literally, though it is tragedy all around, and I am walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because why? You are with me. And to know Christ, the great shepherd, to know God is a feast for the soul. Or do you remember just a couple of months ago? It's as if God was already preparing us for this moment. Do you remember that we studied the book of Habakkuk? Do you remember the theme of the book of Habakkuk? How it ended, that grand climax where it said this. Let me just refresh your memory. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. Literally, when life is totally devastated, no food, no prospect for food, where it seems like life itself is about to end. Do you remember what Habakkuk said? Yet... I will exalt in the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And remember what he said? The Lord God is my strength. And he has made my feet like hind's feet, like deer's feet, and makes me walk on my high places. God will shape us so that we actually will have like deer's feet that actually can walk through the the rocks and the crevices and the terrain that, No mortal man can handle, but a deer can because his hoof is shaped to handle it. So God, when we live by faith, allows us to rise even in the midst of our tragedies, to walk by faith and to live by faith. Remember even what Jesus said? Even though we are trembling, we are to be trusting. And Jesus said, In John 16, verse 33, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. You trust me. In the world, you got tribulation, you got problems, you got devastation. You trust in me. I will give you the strength to walk by faith and to minister in my name. You know, our pain, it is meant to take us back to Christ. And let me just tell you that God does some of his greatest work in the hardest of times. You only have to read through the Bible and see that people like Moses and David and Jonah and Esther and Ruth and Naomi and guys like Jonah and Paul and Peter and John, God oftentimes did his greatest work in the hardest of times. So we must look to him. And so if, if we are to live when our heart is breaking, you know what we need to do, don't you? We need to reorient our soul to God. We need to renew our minds with truth. And we need to rejoice that our God still reigns. Years ago, Karina and I uh, had a, knew a couple. We were friends with them. Uh, this, the, the wife had become a Christian you know, rather recently, and so she was a new believer. When she talked about her life, kind of her prior life before knowing Christ, it was, it was wild and out of control. It was high-flying and high society. She had a lot of money, 
And she also used that money to basically destroy her life through drinking and drugs. And these, all these experiences and going through treatment centers definitely had taken a significant toll on her. And in the midst of all the things that she had done, she had also uh, significantly broken the law and was eventually arrested and uh, convicted, became a felon, and went to prison. I recall one time when I went and visited. Uh, I'd been there once before. This is about 90 days later. And if you've ever gone and visited someone in prison, I mean, it's, it's a sobering experience. You've got guards, you've got fence, you've got barbed wire, you've got checkpoints. And you go, and I remember coming in, you go into this room, and there's that plexiglass, and there's that phone. And they brought her in, and I could tell she had checked out. I, I could see it in her eyes. This was different than 90 days ago. I'm like, God, what, what, Lord, what do you want me to share with this woman? She sat down, and you could tell she was totally despairing. She said, man, Satan is alive and well here. She talked about the people, these women in her tank, so angry and all the swearing and prostitution discussions and just the evil that she was just totally around. It had totally taken her toll, toll on her. I'm like, God, what do you want me to share? And I decided I would take her to an old friend, Psalm 103. And I said, hey, do you mind if I just read this to you? And so I just started reading and I just applied each of these verses and I said, hey, this applies to you. This is a woman who's still in shock and awe that God would forgive her sins. And we started walking through this, and we kept going. We didn't get a finish because the guard that was watching her said, Time's up. You're done. She goes, i got to go. But she had tears in her eyes, and she had the praises of God on her lips. And you can know this. When the praises of God are on our lips, the power of God renews our lives. And friends, that is how we go through tragedy when our heart is breaking. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for Psalm 103 that gives such clarity when we face such confusion, even with our own emotions. And God, I pray, Father, for anyone who is here who has never put their trust and faith in Christ. They don't even know about the mercies and grace of God until now. But they simply pray with me and say, God, I I turn from myself and my sin. You know all about me and and where I'm at. And I simply put my trust in Jesus to know life and forgiveness. Lord, take my life and control it for your glory. And Father, for all of us here, may you bring comfort that only you can bring. Would you use us as a church to be your hands and your feet of the gospel of Jesus and the love of Christ. Would you give us your heart, the heart from your word? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.